When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Tendy Talk, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the BLPA Podcast Networks. I'm your host Joe, better known as Wash Up Goalie on social media. This week I chat with Steve Carroll of Carroll Goalie School, the Gustavus Adolphus Women's Hockey Goalie Coach, and Minnesota State Mankato alum and Cake Eater Edina Hockey alum who played for the legendary high school hockey coach Willard Eichela. So, without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Steve. Steve, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I'm kind of excited to talk to you because growing up in the Chicagoland area and the playing high school hockey in the late '90s, I saw your signs and you know around the rinks for the the goalie schools, and now being in Minnesota. Uh, the name is very familiar to me. In fact, I think I've been to your booth uh, pretty much every year at the uh, Let's Play Hockey Expo as well. So, um, you know, you're definitely a name that's known around the upper Midwest and, and beyond. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and w- one of the things I like to ask all my guests, you know, before we get too deep into the goaltending side of things is you grew up in Minnesota. So it, it's probably the obvious response but how did you get started in this great game of hockey uh all those years ago well uh, i grew up in edina minnesota which is kind of a hockey hotbed and yep you know hockey's a big deal in that community and so as a youngster you got exposed to what the high school hockey team was doing and and eventually you kind of felt like you wanted to be part of that and you did whatever you could to work on your game at the outdoor parks and get involved in the hockey association. And, and it kind of grew from there. Um, my dad was a, a hockey player and a high school referee for many years. So we ended up going to hockey games and, 
watching hockey a lot. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun sport to get involved with. And um, turns out it was. And then you're a peewee and you said, you know what? I want to play goalie. <laughs> why, why did you want to play goalie? And what did mom and dad think about it? Well, uh, the interesting story there was I was, I was a skater up until my last year of peewees. And in Edina, they had two indoor rinks. And one of the indoor rinks, they, um, during the summer, they took the walls down and there was a cement floor there. And so they hosted basketball leagues, but they also hosted a, like a floor hockey tournament, a neighborhood mm-hmm. floor hockey tournament. And so you would grab your buddies and put a team together and play against other people in your community and so on and so forth. And I played goalie for our community in that floor hockey or neat. Well, it was floor hockey. Um, and the PBA coach, um, his son was playing in the tournament too. And they saw me playing goalie as a, on the floor hockey deal and asked if I wanted to try playing it on skates. And I was like, well, I, you know, I wasn't sure what he was telling me if I <laughs> didn't have a future as a forward or maybe he saw something as uh, something in me as a goalie. But that fall, probably about, you know, early September here, I went to the preseason clinics one hour as a skater. And then the next hour they put goalie equipment on me and I went out and tried to be a goalie. And by the time those were done, the coach asked me if I wanted to play goalie. And I said, yeah, I'll go for it as long as I can still skate, skate out every now and then. And so they selected me on the PBA team there with absolutely no experience, which was probably highly controversial. Now they look back at it. Yep. Um, it worked out and, um, our team did well, and I enjoyed playing goalie, and we kind of went from there. You're being a little humble saying it worked out and the team went, did well. You guys won the state championship. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, 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 you did better than well, that's for sure. Yeah, um, but you mentioned something, you know, your condition was you wanted to skate out a little bit because uh, you'd gotten your start as a – uh, a forward, and, and I, I did the same. I started out um, playing both goalie and forward my first year. You know, if I wasn't in that that game, I skated out, and I think that helped my game. You know, what are your thoughts about the need for young goalies to still skate out, not just specialize? You know, you even see some of them down at the mite level. They're like, nope, I'm a goalie. Um, how important do you think it is that that they do skate out and get that? Uh, part of the development? Well, the, the skating piece is, is critical to any goalie's success. And in the mm-hmm. program that I run, we spend a lot of time on goalie skating. And, and we talk about that it's not the most exciting part about being a goalie, but it's probably the most important part of being a goalie, that you use your skating skills to get you in position to give yourself a chance to make the save. And... I mean, that's kind of the bottom line. So I, I, I think, yeah, skating is crucial. And so the mm-hmm. fact that I was a forward, so I had at least north-south skating skills <laughs> helped yeah. me. And then I had to learn to go east-west. And, uh, you know, I eventually got it figured out. 
You know, and I think that's a good way of putting it. You know, forwards, it is that north-south, even though they turn, it's still north-south. Um, and so much of goaltending is east and west. And, and they, they just look at us and we, we hear it all the time. Oh, you're a goalie. You don't do too much skating. It's like, the heck I don't. That's all I do out there is skate. And um, I've read and heard that, you know, some people have done studies that goalies, you know, skate further in a game. It's just in a smaller, but... I don't know the validity of them, but we, we skate an awful lot and people just don't realize it. It's just because we, we're confined to a small area. Yeah, I mean, and, and you can really see, um, well, when you watch a goalie play now, you can see whether or not they have skating skills mm-hmm. or getting by on athletic ability or perhaps size. Um, but it's, it's, it's crucial in today's game that you know how to skate. And the other thing we find too, is that the the kids are most are right side dominant. So the mm-hmm. right leg is the strong leg for the pushing and for the recoveries. And the left leg is the kind of the forgotten leg. So anything with a left foot, a left skate movement or left stop or left recovery is not very strong. And so we talk to them all the time about having two favorite sides and not just one favorite side. And yeah. And and when you break it down like that, it it's it's really obvious to see that they're they're, they're really good with their right foot, but left foot is is the area that kind of gets overlooked often. Yeah, it's a great point. And um I think it was just ingrained in me that way growing up, uh, because I had shared a video of one of my beer league games about three, four years ago, and one of my old teammates, um, Ryan S., saw it, and he runs Devin Air goaltending, and he was mm-hmm. commenting how even after all these years, I still get up on the right foot, and I was like, yeah, I am. Not the the uh, right is on the side, but the proper foot Correct. based on where the puck's going, and I go, you know, I don't even think about it. It's just reactive because the way it was ingrained into me all those years ago repetitively, um, you know, drill after drill is getting up on the correct side. And I was like, yeah, I, I do. And that, now I'm a little more conscious of that when I do look at film of myself or uh, even if when I play pickup hockey, I try, that's for beer leaguers. That's our practice. So mm-hmm. I, I make it a point to make sure that I'm getting up on the correct, correct foot for that reason. You know, a few years ago, I, I helped at the United high school with their goalie tryouts. And they mm-hmm. had 14 goalies try out for their team, which is a huge number of kids. And they all looked, if you looked at them, they all looked like they were, you know, NHL ready with mm-hmm. the custom equipment and the painted helmets and so on and so forth. And so we had to do more than just scrimmage to help separate the group. And one of the things we did in the tryouts was a skating drill to see if they could go to their left their left side Mm -hmm. we did a drill where the drill was for them to go through stopping and pivoting and and um, transitioning to their right side which they knocked it out of the park and then when they had to do the same drill going back with their left side it was not pretty (laughs) and very obvious which kids had the confidence to stop um, and turn and transition both ways Mm-hmm. And we sat on the bench pretty much going, can skate, can skate. And, <laughs> and 
they ultimately picked their four kids from the group of kids. I'd say about half of the kids didn't have the confidence or the experience to stop their left side, mm-hmm. up to their uh, to the left side. So they stopped to their right and then turned to their left. And I just kept thinking, how do you get to the high school level without learning the basic fundamentals so you have two good sides and not just a favorite side? But well, anyway. lucky for me, when I was coming up, the basic fundamentals were skate saves and two pad stacks. So it wasn't that big of an issue for me. It was, it was pretty obvious that the puck was going to my left. Uh, <laughs> I used yeah. that left left skate. But um, before we get into fundamentals and all that fun stuff, you know, that first year playing goalie goes well for you. And you wind up playing high school hockey in Edina, you know, as you point out, a storied uh, program. But not only that, but you were playing for a legend in, say, hockey coaching. Uh, Willard Eichel, what was it like playing for a coach like that? Well, it was it was it was really a cool experience, and now I look back at it now, and it was even probably cooler <laughs> cooler now than it was when I was actually playing. To think yeah. that we were for a legend like that, you know, he was a former goalie, and mm-hmm. had success already as a coach at Edina by the time I played in the late seventies. So, when you played youth hockey in Edina, you you wanted to play for Coach Eichel. You wanted to play for the Hornets. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I got that chance as a 10th grader, it was like, wow, this is this is really something special. And, you know, I think back on, you know, he was a former goalie, but did he spend like countless hours with me in the corner working on my skate save and two, two leg pad stacks and that? Um, the answer there would be no, but he did. <laughs> He did pay attention to what I was doing and was able to offer some suggestions for improvement throughout the season, um, which made me a better goalie. So it was really an awesome experience. Yeah, it's funny you say it because one of my high school coaches, he was a former goalie, and same Mm -hmm. thing. You'd think we would spend a lot more time with goalie-specific stuff, but it was maybe once every three, four months while the uh, rest of the team was doing some power skating. Uh, mm-hmm. he would bring us goalies down to one end and do some stuff, but it, it wasn't often, you know, we, we would talk off the ice, but it, it wasn't like today with, uh, goalies getting more focused time. Um, but you're playing for Edina, you're playing for coach Eichela and you make it to the state tournament. Um, we, we all know what the state tournament is today, but for, for folks not familiar with you know, Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament history, it's been like that for a long time, uh, especially in Edina. What was it like representing Edina in the state tournament for Coach Eichela? Well, and you think about it today, there's there's two there's two classes. So there's 16 teams yep. that made it. Um, back when I played, there was only eight teams that made it. So um, all the attention was on the eight teams who made it to the state tournament. And so we went to the state tournament with uh we beat our crosstown rivals in the section championship in the Dino West to set us up in the state tournament and back then they didn't do seedings they were prearranged pairings based on some sort of formula but as it turned out our opening round game was against Rozo and 
I can't remember if we were the number one ranked team in the in the state or they were number one. Uh, they could have been because they, I think they were unbeaten at that time, and we had one loss. So it was probably they were probably number one, we were probably number two, and we were in the quarterfinal matchup, mm-hmm. and it was a game that Thursday night at nine forty-five or whatever time it was, and we had heard about Rozo, but you, there's no film. There's no YouTube to look at who their players are. Um, but we all heard who their players were and the Broughton brothers and some of these other guys that were, you know, outstanding high school players and went on to do great things beyond high school. Mm-hmm. So in the opening round game, it was a David versus Goliath situation. Everyone was rooting for Rozo and Outside of our friends and family and classmates, everyone was cheering against Edina. Well, that's just Minnesota right there. It, you know, everybody loves to cheer against Edina regardless of the year. For sure. Uh, be, yeah. Because of the success they've had. Yep. Yep. No, I get it. And and so it was, I, I don't remember, but someone told me that there was a mix-up somewhere. And we both came out in warm-ups with our green jerseys on. <laughs> and so someone had a switch and I don't know if we had uh, the wrong info or whatever, but we ended up being in the white jerseys that night against Rozo when they wore the green and white jerseys. But game was on TV, statewide audience um, against Neil Broughton and his brothers. And, you know, we had a good team too. And we, we beat them two nothing. Um, one of the few times Neil Brown was probably held scoreless in his high school career, which uh, pushed us into the cha- uh, semifinal game against Grand Rapids. And they were the two-time defending champions. And they're another storied program and a great, great barn they have up there too. Yeah, for sure. And their team was loaded with eventual D1 and pro players, including Don Lucia and Jim Jetland, who started at the U of M. And, you know, we ended up beating them to to make it to the finals against Rochester John Marshall. Again, a team we really hadn't heard about or seen. And uh, they surprised us in that championship game and won four to two. And so even though we didn't get the championship, it was still an unbelievable experience for sure. And like you said, playing against some great teams in front of big crowds on TV. And, you know, this this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. It was like mm-hmm. that already. Right. Um, you know, they, they maybe didn't have the all hockey hair team at that point. But it, it was <laughs> when you think of what, what makes the tourney great today, it was already there back then, too. Right. No, there was not the all hair team. <laughs> um, big deal if someone had a beard or a mustache. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it was funny. I, I went to a Catholic high school in Chicago, so we, we couldn't have, you know, the long hair, couldn't have any facial hair or anything like that. And mm-hmm. God forbid we made it that far in the state tournament. We we weren't allowed to even uh, bleach our hair. It was uh, kind of like some of the uh, private schools here, are pro- probably closest to St. Thomas, where they're a little stricter about those things. I, I think you can get away with that now at Creighton, but and Hill, but not at St. Thomas. And that, that's how it was for me growing up. Right. 
Um, so, you know, playing for a coach like Coach Aikala, you coach now. Are, are there any aspects of his coaching style uh, that you adapt or adopted into your style or was it something else? You know, when I, one of the things I talk about a lot is that I remember him telling me that I needed to keep my stick on the ice. And that got into, are you afraid of the puck? And it, it, still resonates with me today is that what he was getting at is that I, that I ultimately had the wrong stick size. And mm-hmm. so I, this, you'll appreciate this, but I used a Sherwood at Jockerman stick <laughs> back in the day for whatever yeah. reason, but it was cool. And he played in the NHL and it was a Sherwood. So I thought that was the coolest stick to have. And so it turns out it had a short paddle. And so I would adjust my stance to my Ejokaman stick, which mm-hmm. was really not my natural stance. And so I would do that to put my stick on the ice. But then when the player was getting ready to shoot, I would lift up my stick and really get into my proper ready position. Mm-hmm. So I remember him pointing that out that, look what you're doing here. Your stick is on the ice. Once the player shoots, you come up. And now you go make your save. And um, I remember that because then when I went to Mankato, after Edina, they were like, oh, yeah, you get free sticks here at Mankato. I'm like, well, perfect. I'd like to get the Sherwood Ed Jockerman model. (laughs) And they kind of laughed and they said, well, we're in Northland school. And you're not going to get a Sherwood. You're going to get a Tony Esposito model. And I'm like, okay, well, the price is right. So I'll go with a Tony Esposito model. And it turns out that the Tony Esposito paddle was probably three inches taller than the Ed Jockman paddle. And so, therefore, it fit my stance better. And, therefore, I was in a better position to make the saves from the get-go. And I didn't have the problem of keeping my stick on the ice. So, um, long story short, I always talk about paddle size and stick size with the kids today based on my experience with Coach Ike back in high school. And it's interesting you say that because I remember when I first started playing, uh, you know, we had association equipment and smaller Mm -hmm. sticks. I I had a, uh, I remember it was a white Vic um, that I was using, but then mom and dad bought me my own stick and our team colors were San Jose shark colors. And there was this Titan goalie stick in the pro shop and it was sharks colors. Turns out it was a senior stick with about a 27-inch paddle, and I am probably four foot seven at this point. Um, so I show up to my goalie clinic, and I have this senior stick, and I'm holding, you know, my blockers way up high. And I'm like, this is cool. Kind of looks like the way Eddie Balfour holds it. And my goalie coach, he's like, that stick's too big for you. Right. And it's like, but look how cool it looks. He goes, and he kind of held the stick out, you know, almost from the knob with just his thumb and his forefinger. And he goes, if you can't hold the stick like this, it's too big for you. And he goes, hold it. And <laughs> there was no way I was going to hold it. And he looked at my mom and dad. He goes, I know st- sticks aren't cheap. And th- at that time, I think they were f- maybe 40 or 50 bucks, something like today. He goes, so I know you're not going to change it anytime soon. But when he goes for a new one, 
get them a shorter one. And I still have that darn Titan stick out in the garage because I had uh, Bobby Hall and Stan Makita sign it. But right. it, it's it's still too big for me today. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So besides the stick size deal, um, the other thing I think I learned from Coach Ike was to not overcoach mm-hmm. and let things kind of happen. And it's okay if kids make mistakes. And they don't have to be told all the time what they're doing wrong or what they're doing right. Sometimes they have to kind of figure it out themselves. And so when I coach, it's not constantly telling the kid to do everything out there. I want them to kind of be um, kind of their own coach as well with some guidance as to maybe what they should be doing. And then... Mm -hmm. You know, if a, if a goal goes in, I'll often ask him, you know, what could you have done differently to make the save? Because mm-hmm. and, and, I want them to buy into the development piece instead of me saying, well, if you would have kept your stick on the ice or if you would have dropped, you wouldn't have dropped, then they would have gone over your shoulder or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, when, when Coach Ike was running practice, him and the assistant coach pretty much sat over on the bench and just kind of, called out the different drills and let us do the different drills without overcorrecting us or yipping at us every time something didn't go right or a pass was missed or whatever. And um, I've taken that, I think, on in my coaching um, the way I coach now that I don't want to overcoach and tell the kids everything they're supposed to be doing. I want them to figure some of it out themselves. Well, and as a player, I like that because as players, we know when we make mistakes. Um, so it's it's not like we need to be told we made the mistake. But if, if we know you're there to help us talk through that mistake and how we can prevent it moving forward, I prefer that rather than knowing when I get to the locker room, you're going to tell me everything I did wrong that I already know about. Um, and if I don't know what I did wrong and I say that, you're going to be able to help explain what I did wrong. Um you know, but you mentioned, you know, when you got to college, you were playing down in Mankato. Um, back then, Mankato was not Division One; They were Division Two, uh, but they were still a, a powerhouse at the time, which is why they wound up moving up to Division One. Um, d- did you have offers to go play Division One? Uh, did, did you look at the U, St. Cloud, any of those? Or, or what, what brought you down to Mankato? Well... You know, recruiting was done differently back in the day. But I do remember after the state tournament, you know, we had a bunch of t- a bunch of players on my team for sure that went on to play Division One hockey. And I'm like, well, if they can, why can't I? And so, um, you know, I, I remember writing the, the WCHA teams. You know, St. Cloud was Division Two at that time. So the Mankatos, or not the Mankatos, but the Gophers and North Dakotas and UMDs. Michigan Techs and those type of schools and, and kind of tell them what I just had accomplished as a high school senior and that I was interested in playing college hockey and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, got the, probably the form letter, thanks for your interest, but we have no openings, you know, so yeah. on and forth. Um, and there was a couple of Division two schools who had expressed some interest, River Falls being one and Mankato being another, I know for sure. And my brother was my older brother was playing at Mankato at that time. So I had some 
um, insights into that program. And, you know, at the end of the day, I thought that would be the best situation for me, hockey-wise and education-wise, to pursue um, Mankato. So I went down mm-hmm. to Mankato. Now, I, I've thought about this an awful lot. When we played, you know, we, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have the internet. Uh, you know, we didn't have social media, any of that. So, you know, you said you wrote out letters. Correct. and wrote letters to these coaches. And email was very new at the time when I was in high school. Um, so... I remember emailing different coaches and, but they had never heard of me from, you know, the next guy down the street. So they're, like you said, I got the form email back instead because they'd never heard of me. They, they didn't care. Um, but just thinking of some of the training aids kids have today from YouTube, from uh, great services like Ingle Magazine and um, Sense Arena. I've often wondered how much better of a goaltender would I be today compared to when I grew up with all of these extra assets to me, because I, I was that goalie. I was digesting everything I could get my hands on. I, I think I took this book published in the early seventies about hockey out of my middle school library every single week. Cause we were required to take one book out. And it's like, I just want this one. I want to read it over and over and over again. Cause it was the only hockey book they had at the school. Um, ha- have you ever thought how would things be different if you had the same, uh, tools at your disposal then as kids do today? The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with payouts bigger, bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day, all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, um, I'll, I'll get into a little story here about when I went to Mankato, I was actually cut from the hockey team. And I don't know if you knew that, but I was cut from the hockey team as a first-year player. And I was told that I didn't practice well. And they kept four goalies. I was the fifth goalie, and they kept four ahead of me. Um, two who were returning players, one who was a transfer player, and one who was currently academically ineligible. And so now as a kid out of Edina who thought I had a spot in that team, I was now without a team and not on, not playing hockey in that fall semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, devastated. 
because that's the first time I hadn't, hadn't made a team that I tried out for. And, you know, I had to decide what I wanted to do. And one of the options was play men's hockey. And I'm like, I'm not coming to Mankato to play senior men's hockey. And so as it turns out, you know, one of the kids um, or one of the players on the team um, chose not to come back out for the second semester and the other um, player was ineligible again. So now they were down to two goalies and they asked me to come back to the team. And so I remember being told I, I wasn't probably good enough because I, my practice habits weren't very good. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, understand, Coach, I'm only six or seven years into this deal. <laughs> and that I don't know anything different. Yeah. I, I think as a goalie that I'm my job is to show up and be available for your one-on-ones and your two-on-ones and your three-on-twos and your power play and your penalty kill and your shootout at the end of practice. And if I can do that, then – I think I'm doing my job. And it's like, well, no, you need to put in the work to get better and so on and so forth. And so I was invited back to the team. They didn't have a goalie coach for me there. And that if I was going to get better, I had to learn how to become a practice player. And one of the things I did was go to the library. You couldn't go on the computer because there was nothing for you, but you had to go to the library. We probably checked out the same books (laughs) <laughs> uh, how to play goaltending or how to be yep. a And that's the way you did it. And so I had to learn and, and become more aware of what was going on in practice if I was going to stay with the team. And so I did some shuffles and tee pushes and stuff on my own instead of just standing there waiting for the three-on-two to come down or to do power play in my end or whatever. So – I tried to make myself better during that time. And Mm -hmm. that's what kind of fueled the whole goalie school business is that obviously I enjoy working with kids, but I don't want other kids to be in the situation that I was in, that they were, that they were going to be cut from their team because their practice habits weren't very good. Yeah. And it's funny because I've skated with players who, especially goalies, they're terrible practice goalies, mm-hmm. but they're great game goalies. And I've skated with guys that are fantastic practice goalies, but terrible game goalies. And, you know, the, the ones that are terrible practice goalies, you know, I've talked to some of them and I go, you know, you make that save every time in a game. Why don't you make it out here? And, and their response was, I'm working on a certain aspect of my game, whether it's, you know, to your point, getting up on the proper foot or pushing a different way. They're mentally thinking about that in practice, but in the game, they're just reacting. And I went, huh, that made a lot of sense to me. And that's kind of how I am now in my uh, pickup skates when I get invited out to them. It's, I'm, I'm not as good as I am in my beer league games because I'm mentally intentionally thinking about something. As we all know, because of, uh, Yogi Berra, when, when you start thinking, you, you slow down. Uh, but it, so I, I, I get that. But at the same time, it, it frustrates me when a coach says, you're not very good at practice because it's like, well, why am I not very good at practice? Right. And I think that's what we got into. I mean, we I, I remember yeah. we had a, a purple and gold inner squad scrimmage and I was one of five goalies and I played and I I don't know if I got scored on or whatever, but. 
I, I did fine in the in the inter-squad scrimmage. It's not like I was completely out of out of my league. And right. I, you know, I don't I don't really know what he was getting at, except that he probably didn't see me doing extra stuff. It's not that he was like, I'm giving up too many goals in practice or we can't stop breakaways or whatever the deal was. Um, it just was one of those things. And it obviously motivated me when I got back on the team to take a different approach to practice, something I hadn't had to worry about up until that point. And, you know, college, you don't play quite as many games, so you do have probably more practices in the games. And yeah. so there was no time to spend on individual skill development. And obviously that I, I, That is one thing I loved about college hockey. I was a JV, four-year JV goalie down at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I loved that college football schedule of, you, you know, Monday through Thursday, you're practicing. And Friday, Saturday are games. And it, it was funny because you knew that Monday was going to be all skills. You are going to get maybe 700 pucks shot at you. There is going to be no defense whatsoever. But by Thursday, you might get 75 pucks shot at you all practice because it was all system work, preparing for tomorrow night's game. But I liked it because I knew what to expect. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. If if I look back at, at uh, you know, my competitive days, it, it's practice that I miss. It sounds funny, but I I miss practice and being able to work on my game and seeing that many shots. And of course, the the fun that happens between drills and in the locker room, but it's being able to work on the game and get better is is the part I miss. Yeah. And and I I look at today, I mean, a kid playing goalie today has so many options Mm -hmm. for development, whether it's, um, you know, on the internet or private lessons or goalie schools or whatever. And I didn't have that option um, growing up. And I do wonder a little bit about what it would have been like if I would have had some guidance through my youth hockey and high school days more than an occasional, you know, keep your stick on the ice or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Like the kids do today. I'm not saying that, if I had that, I would have done this. I'm just saying, compared to what the kids have today. Right. A, what would it have done to your development? Yeah, hard to know. Yeah, because I, I think about that too. I was fortunate when I started playing, uh, there was a new goalie coach in the Chicagoland area. Just, you know, his ECHL career had ended due to injury and he was trying to get his goalie school started. So he came to our association and said, if you can give me ice, I'll take all your goalies and do, you know, a clinic once a month. Um, So that first year I I was able to get the basics of, you know, here's, here's your stance. This is how you go down into the butterfly and recover. And as a squirt, that was perfect. That's what I needed at that time. Um, And thank God he taught me proper two pad stack recovery because I still use it in the beer leagues today. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was because that in the summers, up to, you know, eighth grade, I went to his summer clinic, you know, three more times. And that was the extent of my goalie coaching. Um, like you said, in, in high school for two years, I had the, the one coach who was a goalie and every now and then would take us down. 
And it wasn't until I got to college where our varsity team had a goalie coach. And I would talk to Don. You probably know Donnie Nettle uh, because of your time at Gustavus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Donnie and I would talk, but he didn't have the time to come out to our JV practices. But, you know, he, he would uh, definitely lend his advice here and there. Um, but it, it was really just us goalies leaning on each other. Now, fortunately, the, the time I spent at St. Mary's, we had some great goalies that uh, – we all decided to help each other out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be my JV partners of um, uh, Al and Knowles, uh, you know, Jeff Frischman. Um, oh, God, there's a kid from California. I can't think. Sean Green. And then we had some of the varsity guys, a guy like um, I've mentioned his name on the podcast before, uh, Dave Rogalski, who's now coaching okay. for the Devils. And like I said, S who's got uh, Devin Air and, you know, some of the other guys, but we, we all helped each other. You know, we were competing against each other, but we, we would watch each other and say, Hey, I'm noticing this, I'm noticing that. And um, that really helped my game for sure. It, it didn't help me get any more starts. You know, it, as I said, I had the fastest door in the Mayak for four years, but <laughs> it, it made me feel good in practice anyway. But, but you were really fortunate to be able to have teammates that yeah. kind of that coaching deal. If you, yeah, if you we understood it, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. they weren't, they weren't focused on me, me, me. They were, they were kind of we, 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 and yeah. they, they had kind of that coaching instincts or coaching bug to help instead of being, no, I'm not going to help him because then that could affect my playing time and right. blah, blah, blah. But you, yeah. you seem like we're in a great situation with guys that obviously are doing just fine as goalie coaches today that you played with and, and really wanted to help. You yeah. Do. You know, I, I've joked with some of them going, you know, that kind of goalie um, knowledge and brain power we had down there at that time. Um, where, where was that, you know, mix up in the neurons firing from our brain to our body to actually do what we knew? <laughs> why, why weren't we more successful with all that knowledge? <laughs> um, you know, but you, you wind up, you know, yourself coaching, uh, you know, you, you coach down at Gustavus uh, with the women's team. Um, what, what brought you down to Gustavus? Well, so my older brother, the same one who was on the Mankato hockey team, is the head coach at Gustavus. And so mm-hmm. when he had that job, um, I would I was early on in my goalie coaching career. And so he asked me if I'd come down and be his goalie coach uh, for his women's team. And I'm now in my 23rd year of being his goalie coach. So you, you've been there... You were down there coaching then when I was playing at St. Mary's. I was back in the early days of women's hockey in the Mayak when St. Mary's was a powerhouse and they had Missy Meekum as their uh, All-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Gustavus, I, I love that rink. Uh, yeah. There's just something about it. And you'll appreciate this one. My, my first time playing down there, uh, my coach, you know, he's letting us all know all of us freshmen know, you know, it's a smaller rink, you know, much shorter neutral zone. And the first time the puck gets run around, because, you know, at St. Mary's, we have that Olympic sheet. So there's 
a football field behind the net. So when somebody rings the puck, you got to get a real good push. And so that first ring around the boards comes. I get my normal push like I would down at the St. Mary's rink. And there's maybe three feet behind the net, it feels like, down at Gustavus. So I push so hard. I hit the wall. I bounce off. The puck goes by me. And I just hear my coach laughing at the bench. And I, I look over, you know, between whistles. And he just kind of looks at me. He's like, sorry. And at, at intermission, he goes, I knew I forgot to tell you something. I just couldn't remember what it was until that moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's such a fun rink to play at. And, and the atmosphere down there when, you know, Gustavus has a good team, it, it's it's fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool it's a cool place to play, and and um, you know, it, it's for for the Gusties. It certainly provides us with the home ice advantage. Yeah, you know, it, it, as a visiting player, you know, there, there there was something fun when they would bring out the spit guard to put it over the uh, uh, penalty box. It was like, all right, we know this is going to be a fun place, and uh, I, I think sometimes the student section thought they were getting on our nerves, but uh, we liked it. <laughs> it made us want to play harder. That's for sure. It, it's it's a fun atmosphere when that place is packed. Yep, I would agree. Um, so you know, you get into coaching after your playing days, and I think it's natural for a lot of goalies to to wind up coaching when the playing days are over. If we have that love for for the position, but like me, when, when you started, you know, we were wearing brown leather pads that we strapped as tight as we could to our legs. Um, you know, our, our chest protectors were glorified catcher's chest protectors. Um, we were learning, you know, as we said, skate saves and two pad stacks. The position has changed so much over that time. Um, how have you stayed on top of it, you know, over those years to, to evolve with the position? Well, um, now we get into YouTube. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, YouTube and watching and watching and, and listening and, and being open to ideas and, and understanding the game has changed. Um, mm-hmm. I can't teach the way I played because right. that it's not relevant anymore. And so um, I'm in my 28th year of running my goalie school. And we talk all the time as a, as a coaching staff that we have to stay up to up to date on what the latest and greatest techniques are. Otherwise we will be old news. And so, um, you know, for the demonstration pieces, I often bring in current goalies who can demonstrate today's techniques because I, I don't, I can't do the techniques that they do today. RBH and and some of that stuff, but I, I make sure that I have demonstrators who can show the kids and I can explain what it is we're trying to accomplish. And so um, it's just being aware that uh, understand the game has changed. I understand that. Um, and we have to stay up to, up to speed on what's happening. And we do that by learning through YouTube and watching games and watching NHL guys and, and talking with guys like you and other people in the business about how to do this or what about this or, should we be teaching this or blah, blah, blah. So um, it's kind of a learning deal for us too. Mm-hmm. It makes it kind of fun. 
No, I, I like that you you say it that way because I, I think a lot of us older beer league goalies, you know, we want to evolve with the game, but we we can't do some of this stuff for different reasons. You know, I I, I was still playing in old Vons I bought back in 99 when I was in college up until last year, and I was all excited. I was like, with the new stuff and the way the pads are, I might be able to, you know, move laterally when I'm down, you know, on one knee the way the kids do today. I'm like, no, I, I still can't do it. <laughs> you know, I, I understand how to do it, but my body just doesn't let me do it. But it, it, it's funny because, you know, these kids are doing things today where I'm like, I don't know how to do it. Um, I've heard of, you know, some, some guys pros where they've gone to some of the camps and, you know, you got the younger kids and they're like, these, these young kids are doing it better than me. You know, what's going on. Um, but it, we still found ways to stop the puck. I still find ways to stop the puck. Sometimes my teammates would say not all the time. Um, and I, I think that's maybe the one thing younger goalies don't, don't pick up on the way we did is that don't give up until the puck is either in the net or the whistle's blown is sometimes they, they kind of go through the mechanics of it and, Oh, I'm out of position. I don't have a chance, but then you watch a guy like flurry and he doesn't give up on anything. And that's the way I was taught is don't give up, just throw your body. And, and that's when, you know, the, the cool saves are made, but we all know if you make a cool save, it means you are out of position to begin with. Tendy Talk guests. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of different hockey podcasts, the new Flogging Molly uh, album, and finishing up The Game by Ken Dryden on audiobook. And it's been great. One of the reasons it's great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycon gives you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Some of the best features are the three customizable sound profiles the noise isolation, and the awareness mode. I saw just this weekend one of my favorite Instagram DIYers, Philip or Flop, uses them as well. Go to buyraycon.com today and use code THPN to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code THPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com Code THPN15. Yeah, we, we talk about that all the time, actually, you know, about are, are you as a goalie, are you a one-shot wonder? Mm-hmm. Or are you one that's going to do whatever it takes to keep the puck out of the net? Yeah. Too many of them today are one-shot wonders. Right. They're, they're, they're robotic. And they are in position to make the save, and after they make the first save, it's not their problem. And so we try to work with them about there's no limit on how many saves you have to make in any sequence. And let's compete for everything. And like mm-hmm. you, 
it's it's not over until the whistle blows. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that it's the respond piece. And so um, I can tell in about 10 seconds whether a kid is responding to the puck. Now, what, is he, what, what happens after he makes a save? Right. Does he respond and get himself in position to potentially make another save? Or is it kind of looking, well, it's not my deal. It's the defense that has to clear the rebound because I made the first save. And the kids who get it and the, they're into that respond piece and the compete piece are the ones who excel. The ones who are the one-shot wonders, it doesn't work very well for them. No, and, you know, I, I think one of my favorite wasn't a drill, uh, but you see it all the time when teams have extra ice. The rebound game at the end of practice, to me, that's one of the best drills to learn how to not give up on a puck because you're going to just be throwing yourself all over the ice. But when that situation happens in a game, you've got some tools in that toolbox to throw out there, whether it's throwing the paddle out there, you know, the uh, Vasilevsky throwing the glove behind the back. You you start doing those things playing the rebound game uh, because those are pretty darn competitive. You don't want to let the forwards win and they don't want to let you win. So <laughs> sometimes there's a little more effort in those games than there are in the actual game itself. Right. And, and you're getting into the compete deal, the compete level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I always want goalies who want to compete. Even if the yeah. technique is maybe not as refined as it should be, but let's compete and give yourself yeah, a look, chance, give yourself a team a chance to, to win a game. Look at a guy like Dominic Oshik. He didn't have the refined – well, he, he had refined skills. We didn't realize they were refined. But you had to just look at him and go, he doesn't have the robotic skill that can beat to him. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it comes up all the time. I, you know, I say – all right, well, you remember watching Dominic Hossack play, and they're like, oh, God, he was the greatest, and he made all these great saves and whatever, whatever. And I said, what goalie school teaches that now? <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. nobody. I, no, nobody teaches that because he was doing stuff he can't teach. Yep, exactly. And it's, it's Exactly. And, and, and I'd like to see more kids be like Dominic Hossack where they – throw their glove behind their back if they're out of position or they dive across or they do whatever they can to try to stop the puck. And just don't, we don't see that as much as I'd like to see it today. You know, as you talk about that and, you know, watching the kids to see, you know, are, are they watching that puck and whatnot? One of my favorite pictures of me came, I was playing in the Soda Sick Hockey Classic at the Super Rink about, three, four years ago before COVID. And I had just made a two-pad stack where my legs came up and over. And the picture is me on my back, arms spread out, legs in the air. And uh, the guy running the uh, tournament got this picture. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I zoomed in and I said, zoom in on the picture and look at my eyes. Because the puck is right above my head and my eyes are looking up. And I see that puck the whole time. He's like, son of a gun. You knew what the heck you were doing. I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to keep my eyes on the puck. So I keep. Yeah. And it, you know, it's the, the watching the puck is a, is a huge problem today. And we talk about all the time is that I think it has to do with these kids not playing multiple sports. 
and the hand-eye coordination piece is not where it needs to be for a lot of these kids. And they get the gloves that are too big, too stiff, and they don't break them in. And now they try to catch a puck, and they don't watch the puck into their glove, and so it bounces out of their glove, or they do some sort of funky hand movement to try to get it to stay in their glove. And, you know, you don't see many kids today that you just talk about, oh, my gosh, that they got a great glove hand. Mm -hmm. You don't see that anymore. No. No, and it's fun when when that glove is working in the beer league still, and, you know, the players will come up to you from the other team like, I, I keep shooting there because you're, I want to, I want to beat you there, but you, you know, you just, you got a good glove tonight. It, it, that feels good as a goalie to know, you know, that the gloves work. And now, unfortunately that's not many nights, but sometimes it does. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's a good feeling to, to catch that puck in the glove and just kind of the old Patrick Wah wink at them as they go by. Right. Yeah. But like I said, I, I see the, the hand-eye coordination piece coupled with the the wrong glove size um, causes a lot of problems for goalies. Absolutely. Now, I'm looking at the time. We've been talking a while. I want to be mindful of time. I don't know if you've listened to any of my past episodes, but I end every, every episode with this, a list of 10 questions, sort of the same questions I've asked every single guest from Bantam goalies on to Eddie Belfort and Kelly Rudy. Okay. Um, so the first question is, what's the craziest coaching moment from your days in the game, whether, you know, the coach just losing his cool, something like that? Well, <laughs> it would probably be in the Mankato days where um, back when I played, if you had, you know, you're giving up some goals, you could go over to the bench and have the fake equipment problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And they had, it'd always be way under the chest protector, probably the suspender that came loose and so on and so forth. And we were playing up in St. Cloud one one year, and it wasn't going very well for me. So I thought I better go over and get my equipment fixed underneath my chest protector, underneath my jersey, and so on and so forth. And so I did. And the referee at center ice started yelling at me to get back in the net. And I said, well, I, yeah, I can, but i got to fix my equipment. And he said, I said, get back in the net and drop the puck while I was still at the bench. And they scored into the empty net. And that caused all kinds of excitement on our bench. Um, not only with the referee, but of course, me. And so I remember that particular moment getting screamed at. And our coach screamed at the referee and this kind of chaos breaking out. So that'd be right up there. How about that one? <laughs> that, that's a good one. So what is your favorite all-time goalie mask? My favorite all-time goalie mask? Yeah, you know, the painted ones that you see here. Uh, and some aren't even the painted ones of it. People say, you know, the old uh, pretzel mask from Dryden and ones like that. What's your favorite one? Well, um, I think growing up, it was Doug Favell on the Flyers, I think. Mm-hmm. He had the custom mask, and he had the orange on it, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Was his the one where the eyes were looking through the flyer logos? Don't remember that piece. I just remember they were like triangle wedges, but they were like in 
Oh, I know what one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I wore a fiberglass mask for a part of my career, but then I have ultimately switched to uh, a screen mask like Hasek. I remember I, I, I was wearing one of those uh, my freshman year after a concussion, and I just so happened to have the number 39, and I'm going, you know what, I might need to change my number, otherwise people are going to think I'm trying to be him with the way I play. Right. <laughs> um, so what is your favorite rink that you've played at? The favorite rink that I played at? Yeah. Um. I would I would probably have to say uh, Braemar Arena in Edina. Yeah, it's a great storied rink, that's for sure. You know, and, and back when I played, the the place would be packed. You know, the band would be playing. There would be, you know, our student section, our parents, the visiting team, and just generic hockey fans would be there, and the building would be packed. So it was always an electrifying place to play no matter what yeah. it was. Yeah. It, unfortunately, I live up in the White Bear Lake area, so it's like every time I want to get down there for a game, it's like, do I want to battle traffic? Do I want to go that far at this hour of the night? Um, but it's it's a great rink for sure. Um, know, I was going to just add to that, but today the atmosphere is not like it used to be. No. And, uh, I, I've been there in the last couple of years watching games and the, the games that I've been at, the band hasn't been there. The building's about half full. Um, it seemed like kind of a youth hockey game in a lot of ways. It didn't yeah. seem to have, it didn't have that special feeling that it did many, many years ago. When, when I was done playing at St. Mary's, I did some uh, coaching at Forest Lake and we would play Grand Rapids in sections almost every year. And it was really fun going up to their barn for section playoff game because they would have that band going. Mm-hmm. That that was the ticket to have in Grand Rapids. So that night, it was just a completely different atmosphere. Same thing with Cloquet. Mm-hmm. It didn't even have to be section playoffs with Cloquet. It was just, we got a Friday night game in Cloquet and that place was going to be packed. You'd have, uh, you know, the, the guys coming in from the paper mill up there and it was just, it was fun fun place to play. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I might know the answer to the next question because you, you were probably alluding to it earlier, but what's your favorite uh, goalie stick that you've used? Well, it, it had to be the, ultimately had to be the Tony Esposito model because we had all kinds of success with that. And mm-hmm. so while I used uh, Ed Jockman for, Part of my high school career, once I moved to the uh, the Tony Esposito model, then my game went to a different level. So I would say the Tony Esposito model. So the next question, what is your favorite youth hockey memory? Well, a couple there. So um, playing in the state tournament that first year as a PBA goalie was was something I'll always remember. The game was played at the Met Sports Center of all mm-hmm. places. And it was on the TV news. And so, you know, here's you know, a guy that just started playing goalie and you're playing at the Met Center. Obviously it wasn't full, but we were skating in the place that North Stars skated. 
and that here it is on the news that Edina beat Roseville to win the state PBA championship. I thought that was pretty cool. And then the other thing was that we were sponsored by Pearson Candy and not mm-hmm. Here, not not the first year, but the in the Bannon years, we were sponsored by Pearson Candy, and the owner, I guess, would bring Pearson Candy, salt and nut rolls, and nut goodies to to our locker room after our games. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of a nice little treat. Yeah, the candy after the game is always a good thing, even today. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you watch that show, Shorzy, but uh, they have the post-game drumstick, the uh, ice cream cone after the game. I'm going, I, I'd be down for that. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, so what is the best chirp you've heard on the ice, off the ice, directed at you, not directed at you? I, I got to imagine being part of the MyX along, you've heard some good ones. Um. You know, at the, the Mayak, the women's, you know, as a coach, we don't really get into chirping too much. But I, I remember when we played the Mankato, we would often scrimmage the University of Minnesota JV team. Mm-hmm. They had a JV team back then. And we would go up to Mariucci Arena and play. It was Williams Arena, I guess, back then. We'd go to Williams Arena and play, and, and these games were – you know, we would have our top guys out there and they would have the guys that were trying to make the varsity team and there were no consequences. So there was fights all the time and mm-hmm. street fights and some of the exchanges in those games were slap shot like. You talk about the fights and when I was playing at St. Mary's, we would schedule games against some of the junior B teams just to get games on our schedule because not every MIAC team had a JV team. Right. And uh, one of the games, I, I always stood in this, you know, uh, center by the red line. So I, I would typically talk to the opposing team's goalie throughout the game. And the, one of these junior B goalies looks at me, he goes, one of his players is trying to so you guys not fight because you're a Catholic school? And I just looked at him and we go, no, we don't fight because we got cages on and you don't. It's stupid. And he goes, oh, yeah, I suppose. It was like, come on, buddy. This is an obvious one. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think one of my best chirps in college had to have been towards the refs. Uh, mm. I, I would do the music for our men's varsity games and sometimes the women's. And when the referees would come out, I would play three blind mites because at the time we we're going with two lines when one referee and the first time I did it, the refs came out, skated right over to our coaches, to coach Olson. And he goes, uh, who's getting the bench minor for this one. And he points up at me and then the ref starts laughing. He goes, I love it. Tell him not to stop. No matter what any of the refs in the league say, this is great. <laughs> so every time the refs came out, they came out to uh, three blind mice and usually got a chuckle from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what is the worst post-game beer you've had? Post-game beer? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, 
that'd be hard to say because I don't really uh, get involved in post-game beers either as a coach or uh, as a player. So I don't know that I'd be able to help you with that one. Well, in that, in that regard, then what's the worst post-game beverage? <laughs> um, probably a warm beer. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong there. That's yeah. for sure. Um, so the next question, it, it tends to divide uh, goalies. Uh, when when you tape a goalie stick, do you go heel to toe or toe to heel? I go toe to heel. Okay, you're in the minority here. Is there a reason you go toe to heel? Probably stems back to that's how I used to tape my forward stick. Okay, that yeah. that makes sense. And so. When I played, I would I would put I used white tape because I thought that was lighter than black tape, and I put a strip of white mm -hmm. tape on the bottom of the blade to protect it, and then I'd start taping from the toe to the heel with white athletic tape because I thought that was lighter, and then kind of see the puck marks, I suppose. Yeah. Now you talk about that strip along the bottom. I got my two sticks back there. I just retaped them last night ahead of the uh, fall season starting on Sunday. And I still do that, that strip of tape along the bottom just to give it a little extra, not necessarily reinforcement, but uh, just a little extra there. Now, yep. now when I, when I coached, I always told my uh, defensemen that I, I wanted them to have white tape so that the goalie could see the puck on their stick easier. Uh, I told the forwards I didn't care. Uh, if anything, they should go with black tape so the goalies are shooting on, can't see the puck as easy. But to this day, I, I tell my defenseman, I want you to have the white tape because, one, if I see the white tape, odds are it's one of my guys in front of me in, in the scrums. And I, I've gotten a few of them to switch from the black to the white for for that reason. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's much to it. It's just one of those things in my mind that makes sense, so I go with it. Um, so the next question, we're almost done here. What's your favorite number to wear and why? Well, in, in high school, it was number one because we kind of adopted names of pro goalies, and mine was Gump. And so uh, <laughs> I had to go number one with Gump. When I moved to college, number one was taken, so I had number 30. And that became ultimately my favorite number, number 30. It's not a bad one either. So the last question, what advice do you have for young goaltenders? Well, I mean, when, when we talk to them, when I work with them, it's, it's, it's about to compete. Compete for every puck that you can. Um, I, want, I want them to have fun. I want them to ask questions. I want them to enjoy participating in the sport and that it's always about the next shot, no matter what happens. You give up a goal, it's about the next shot. You make the ESPN highlight save, what about the rebound? Um, you stop 50 shots, what about the 51st shot? It's always about the next shot. So. Mm -hmm. um, I try to leave them with that. I want them to have fun, I want them to work hard, do the best they possibly can do, and then 
always want the next shot. And, and that's sound advice because at the same time, when that one does get by you, you got to forget about it. You got to worry about that next shot because if you're still focused on the one that got by you, you're not going to stop that next one. No, and and I, I work with them a little bit on developing a post-goal routine so they do the same thing after every goal. Mm-hmm. If you watch the NHL guys, everything they do after the goal it revolves around the water bottle. Mm-hmm. They might squirt themselves. They might take a drink. They might spray their neck. They might shoot it up in the air. They might go for a skate. But what they're doing there, as you probably know, is that they're comprehending on what just happened mm-hmm. and ultimately refocusing on what's about to happen. Yeah. And that's what I tell these kids is that, you can't worry about what just happened because you still have the game to finish. And so you have to go for a skate over into the corner if you want. Think about what just happened. You would have kept your stick on the ice. You maybe would have made the save, blah, blah, blah. And then focus on what it is you need to do because you still have a period and a half to go in the game. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned exactly what I do. I, I take that skate, take yep. that skate into the corner and uh, clear my head and go, okay, that's behind me. You know, I, I have that Ted Lasso, be a goldfish mentality of, okay, let's, let's move on. Let's refocus and get ready for the next one. Now I'm going to pull a Kevin Woodley and say one more question. Cause I forgot to ask it earlier. And, and I asked uh, some of the other goalies I've had on that uh, have goalie schools. Have you thought of having a weekend for beer league goalies? Because there's a lot of us, like myself, who we've seen the game change, but we don't have the opportunity to practice those changes or understand how to do them. Um, you know, and I, I know in some areas there's kind of the, the clinics for the beginner goal, goalie. Um, but that, that that's no good for somebody like myself. But, a, you know, a nice weekend – you know, goalie clinic for, for the beer league goalie where I could work on some of those newer skills or uh, just improve, you know, like you said, the, the glove hand. Our, our bodies are getting a little older. That glove's getting a little heavier and reminding me to keep it up uh, would be good. Have you ever thought of having that, that beer league camp at, at any point in time? Um, I have, and I really, en- I, I really enjoy working with the older goalies when I can, but the, the problem I've run into is that this is a business deal. Yeah. It comes down to insurance mm-hmm. and the insurance I have for my youth hockey goalie school only covers participants up to age 19. Interesting. And so could I find a policy that would cover me training 35-year-olds or 28-year-olds, I don't know if I could. Or have a really good legal waiver. Well, <laughs> yeah, and legal waivers are legal waivers. And so you get into – and that, that really has been the issue because I get asked about coaching, um, you know, moms and dads that bring them mm-hmm. to holy school. And they play themselves in the adult leagues. And they're like, I'd love to have you come work with me or I'd come do private lessons with you or whatever, whatever. 
And I said, I'd love to, but it becomes an insurance issue. And no, that, that, that's interesting. So it's the first time I've heard that, but it makes so much sense. Right. And so you think about from the insurance standpoint, insuring a coach working with a 35 year old is different than insuring a coach working with a 10 year old. Correct. And so it's, it's been, when I do my insurance, they, they always ask me, are any participants over 19 years old? And I would say, no, they're not. And so I don't know what would happen if I said, yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Zeros on the, on the policy. And so that's really the, the, the reason I haven't really pursued it. I know there's a market there and I, I have worked with parents, you know, that are kind of out there at these youth hockey clinics, kind kind of father, son or mother, daughter deals. And that age group is great to work with because they truly want to learn and get better. And they're like, well, to your point though, if it, it becoming an insurance issue, that would drive the cost of it up. And at some point as beer leaguers, we go, yeah, we want to do it, but it's still a hobby at this point. Do I want to invest that much in it for a weekend clinic or something? So that, that makes so much sense that I, I hadn't taken into account. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be different. I don't mm-hmm. know that you'd be able to, if you had the insurance piece figured out, you probably wouldn't be able to charge the rates that you would be charging working with the younger kids. Mm-hmm. But you'd get around that by maybe working with a little bit bigger group. Right. You know, and yeah, because we're going to we're going to pay closer attention than the 10 year old. We, we have a better attention span. Well, for sure. And, and it would, well, I mean, that's just that's that's the truth. And, and it would be a deal where. You could charge less because you could take more students on and still get to where you need to get to at the end of the night. Right. Exactly. Well, so, well, I'm glad I asked the question because now I actually have a good answer other than why well, I, I just I don't have the time for it. Yeah, like I said, I, I enjoy I enjoy working with that age group, but um, because of insurance reasons, I've kind of stayed away from doing it. No, that, that makes complete sense. Um, but I've taken up plenty of your time. I want to thank you for, you know sitting down, talking to me. It's been a great conversation and uh, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for you at the rinks here and uh, at the Let's Play Hockey Expo again. Well, I appreciate your time. I enjoyed talking uh, goaltending with you and reliving some of the the olden days from your past and my past. And you do a nice job of the attendee talk here and I'm excited to be part of the program. It was fun chatting with Steve. I appreciate his honesty as to why we haven't, and probably won't, see many, if any, beer league goalie clinics. I'm sure I'll see him around the rink from time to time, and if I do, I'll have questions about my own game for him. Be sure to follow Carol Goalie School on social media at Carol Goalie School on Instagram, all one word, no spaces, and at Carol GS on Twitter. Carol is spelled C A. R-R-O-L-L. You can always find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, 
my Beer League Hockey video highlights now that the season has started up again, and of course, all podcast episodes. If you want some wash-up goalie or Tendy Talk apparel, be sure to visit my Threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OG BLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of beer league players talk beer league hockey, draft experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network as well. There are too many lists here, but shows like the Here in Puckberg podcast, the PJS cast podcast, and the Quack Report podcast can be found. If you're looking for something good to read, get yourself a subscription to the Vintage Tendy magazine. Published quarterly, the magazine takes a deep dive into an 80s or 90s era goalie. In the first five issues, they've covered Felix Potvin, Grant Fuhrer, Tim Chevalier, Jocelyn Tebow, Ken Reggett, and John Van Beesbrook. Oh yeah, an episode 20 guest, mask painter and creator Don Strauss. I need to thank the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my episodes. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm always working on lining up other goalies to talk to, and it seems to be getting harder and harder. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or shoot me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you're a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. Be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. Well, Dave, the pond? Yeah. It's rose right over.